No matter what happens in the world, God is still in control, a very present help in times of trouble. Let Dr. David Jeremiah help you start each day renewed and refreshed with his new yearly devotional called Strength for Today. This beautiful leather soft book features short readings reminding you to hold tight to God's faithfulness and find wisdom from God's Word. Receive Strength for Today in appreciation for your gift this month. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. In today's volatile economy and uncertain job market, many people are anxious about their financial future. If you're among them, take heart. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah turns to a psalm written by a man who also dealt with insecurity, who learned to give up earthly wealth for things of eternal value. Listen as David introduces his message, Debt, the Fear of Financial Collapse. Well, I'll tell you what, illness natural calamity and financial collapse. (laughs) Sounds like the situation that we're in right now with pandemics and uh, economic stress and people getting really, really sick. The Bible doesn't gloss over those kinds of problems. That's one of the reasons why we love this book so much, because if we read it consecutively, if we read through it in any kind of plan, we're going to run into just about everything we face in life somewhere in the Scripture, in this incredible, timeless book. And it won't be suggestions or ideas. It will be God speaking to our hearts and helping us to know what to do, what to do next. Such is the case with today's lesson from Psalm 37, Debt, the Fear of Financial Collapse. Don't forget, friends, you can watch Turning Point every day now on television. And uh, we have some wonderful news to tell you about. Uh, As you know, we are now on the History Channel at 6.30 a.m., both Eastern and Pacific Time. That's a dual-feed channel. Uh, We're on TBN at 7 a.m., the Cowboy Channel at 8 a.m. We're on NRB-TV at 9 a.m. We're back on TBN again at 4 p.m., And then we're on Daystar. We're on a wonderful station in Toledo, Ohio, WLMB and WTGL in Orlando, Florida. And we're also now on the Hillsong Channel at 9 p.m. every night. These uh, stations are carrying our daily Turning Point television program. I had the opportunity to see uh, one of the first releases on the History Channel, and appropriately, we are studying Babylon and what happened uh, with the uh, Babylonian captivity, and it just seemed like it fit right in with the History Channel. It was beautiful with all of the things that we did to enhance the program. Uh, I'm sure that people are going to see and hear the Word of God who would never have seen it before because we're now in that place, and we're so thankful for the opportunity. Check it out when you get a chance. I don't know what it is on your cable system. It's channel 55 on mine, but you'll find it. It's a very prominent and very respected channel, and uh, we're so grateful for the opportunity we've been given to air the wonderful truth of the gospel on this great delivery system. Well, let's get started with part one of Debt, the Fear of Financial Collapse. We have been studying together what the Bible has to say about fear. You know that we have learned that in the Bible that word appears a lot. In fact, 
the number one command in the Bible by a whole lot is the command, fear not, over and over and over again. I told you early on that there are over 200 people in the Bible about whom it was said they were afraid. So if you ever struggle with any fear, you're in good company. A lot of people in the Bible struggled with fear as well. Today, we're going to talk about something that may be about as prevalent as any of the fears we've discussed so far. Our subject today is the fear of financial loss. The fear of financial loss. Given what has happened in our country over the last years, there are surely some people here today who have gone through that. And if not, you know folks who have and you've tried to help them and encourage them. I want to begin with a story about someone who experienced what I am going to talk about today. Her name is Ethelda Lopez, and she was ready to let go and enjoy the golden days of her time here on this earth. She had worked hard all of her adult life. She'd planned well for her retirement. And now when that pension check arrived each month, she just felt so secure, had such a sense of well-being. And then one month, the check did not come. It had to be a mistake. I mean, after all, she had done her part. She made a few phone calls, and her discomfort began to grow. Sacramento accounting firm had managed her investment, but the company was no longer to be found. Every time she phoned, she got a repeated recording. This number is no longer in service. Athelda had worked for AT&T for three decades. Her benefits should have been rock solid. She had paid into the plan all of those years, and now she was no longer in possession of where that money was. Her ultimate worst-case scenario was looming. She couldn't make her mortgage payment. So she fired off some more phone calls to mortgage companies, to her political representatives, to bank managers, anyone, everyone who might be able to shed some light on the craziness that was going on in her life. But it was all to no avail. Her money was gone. Lost, embezzled, stolen. What difference did it make? She was suddenly, unexpectedly destitute. Every night she cried herself to sleep. Loss is integral to life. Nothing that's visible is lasting. And one of the first harsh moments in life is the occasion when we first discover that truth. The larger the loss, the deeper the pain. And financial collapse is definitely a major loss and has inflicted immeasurable sadness and suffering on many people over these last few years. Lots of lost homes, lots of heartbroken families, and even if you were spared the economic collapse, you find yourself wondering if it could happen to you. What if this happened to us? Is what I have safe where I have put it? So the question arises, when we've lost our home, our possession, our bank account, and our investments, and the very concept of financial security has been swept away and we have nothing left, or if we find ourselves fearing that that could happen to us, where do we turn? Does God have anything to say that will give us comfort? And of course, you know that he does. And the Bible itself is a book of comfort. 
The Psalms in our Bible is the go-to book for comfort. And one of my favorite Psalms we're going to look at today for a few moments, and that's Psalm 37. This Psalm speaks to our hearts when the fear of financial calamity is stalking us. How should we respond when we look out at a world and we're doing all the right things? We're obeying God. We're coming to church. We're raising our families in a godly way. We're tithing. We're doing all the things we know we should do. And we're failing. And the people we know who don't do any of those things, in fact, do a lot of evil things, they seem to be succeeding. How can that be right? And why is that fair? And why does it happen? I would like to suggest to you that there are two major scriptures in the Bible that deal with that, and it's kind of easy to remember them. One of them is Psalm 37, and the other is Psalm 73. And if you just put those two things down in your mind, you remember where to go when you're trying to figure this out. I would like to suggest to you that Psalm 37 is an incredible portion of scripture for our discussion today because it is a simple statement of some things Almighty God wants us to do when we're feeling insecure, not just about life, but about everything. Sometimes when you read the Psalms, you have to read and then you develop principles having read it. Here the principles are just stuck right in the Psalm. There are seven of them here in the first few verses, just places where God, through the Psalms, says to us, here's what you should do. I kind of like that because it's always helpful when you know what you're supposed to do. <laughs> and it begins here in the third verse where we're told to decide to trust in the Lord. Chapter 37, verse 3 says, trust in the Lord. I've underlined that in my Bible. Trust in the Lord. This is one of the themes of the Psalms, to trust in the Lord. And you know, that's very important in this discussion because this whole issue of financial stability is an issue of trust. We even put things in what we call trusts. And we put our trust in people to care for those things. And here the Bible says, if you want to survive the uncertainty of life as a follower of God, you need to learn to put your trust in God. And that's a decision that you make. You decide to trust in the Lord. Now, this is mentioned three times in Psalm 37. Here in the verse we just read, over in verse 5, where we're told to commit our way to the Lord and trust also in Him. And in verse 40, at the very end of the psalm, it appears again. Now, everybody has to trust in something. If you put all your trust in your resources you're probably going to find disappointment along the way. If you put all of your trust in what you've been able to amass out of your work on this earth, you're never going to feel a sense of great security because if you put it in the bank, what if the bank fails? If you invest it in the stock market, what if it goes upside down? If you get it converted to gold and silver and put it in your safe at home, what if somebody breaks in and steals it? Where can you find something to put your trust in that will not fail you? And Psalmist says, Trust in God. And let me just suggest to you that this is not emotional. This is not some feeling that you have. When you trust in God, you make a decision to do that. I've been very convinced of that more and more of late, even when it comes to the matter of salvation. How does a person become a Christian? 
that person decides to put their trust in God. Does that mean they have all of the answers to all of the questions they might ever have about being a Christian? Absolutely not. But there comes a time when they have enough answers that they say, I am going to put my trust in God, and they make the decision to do it. It's a choice. And when, as Christians, we're dealing with the uncertainties of life, we have to make that same choice, don't we? What about what's going on in this country? Where are we going financially? Are the government officials getting us in so much debt that it's all going to come down on us like a house of cards? Is inflation going to go crazy? I don't know. I don't put my trust in any of those things. I put my trust in God, and I know that God will not fail me. Beginning at the very beginning of this is a choice that a person makes to put their trust in God. If you look down in your Bibles at verse 25, here's an affirming verse. I have been young, and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. Paul said in the New Testament, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. I'm here to tell you today, God is trustworthy. You can put your trust in him. He will help you in every situation. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, God is able to make all grace abound toward you so that you always having all all sufficiency in all things will have an abundance for every good work. Go through the Bible and you will find promise after promise that just simply underscores this truth that when you put your trust in God, you have found the one place where you will not be discouraged or disappointed. And then the next part of the verse gives us our next instruction. Trust in the Lord and do good. Trust in the Lord and do good. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Put your trust in the Lord and then do good. And if you want to know what that means, there's a commentary on that in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Let me read this passage. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty or to trust in uncertain riches, but to trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy, and let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come. It's almost as if the psalmist says, when you're in a situation where you don't know what to do, first put your trust in God, and then instead of sitting around and wondering how things are going to be for you, look around for somebody to help and do some good things with what you have. What an incredible way to deal with life as we face it today. Trust and do good. All of us are into the trusting part, but what about the do good part? What about taking what God has given us? How many of you know that no matter how bad things are for you, somebody you know is doing worse than you are? (laughs) We're trusting God and thanking him for what he's done for us, and we're doing good by helping others. That's the second instruction. Here's the third one. Trust in the Lord. Decide to do that. Decide to trust in the Lord. Do the things that honor the Lord. And number three, dwell on the faithfulness of the Lord. Notice the last phrase in verse three. Three principles in one little verse. And feed on his faithfulness. The Bible says when you're trusting in the Lord, you fill up your mind and your heart with the realization that he is a faithful God and he is worthy of your trust. Feed on that. He is faithful. The early verses of Psalm 37 draw our attention to the faithfulness of the Lord. 
But I'm going to do what you should never do when you're reading a novel. I'm going to take you clear to the end of the chapter and notice what it says in verse 40 where the word trust appears again. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. When you trust in God and you do good and then you fill your life and your mind up with truth of his faithfulness, which is like memorizing verses and putting truth into your spiritual computer, you develop a kind of Teflon spiritual personality that bad things just roll off of you. You say, well, my 401 has become a 101. (laughs) But God is still on his throne, and he's always been faithful to me, and I know he's worthy of my trust. How do you know that? Well, let me just share with you what I've learned from the Bible. The Bible says that when I am faithless, he's still faithful. His faithfulness is not troubled by what I do or what happens in the world. He is worthy of our trust. And how many of you know you cannot really know that until you go through some difficult things in your life? Because when things are good, you probably think it's you. (laughs) When things are going well, you probably think how smart you are, where you've put your... But as soon as some of that is threatened, you become aware of your vulnerability. I remember a story that was told about Dr. Gardner Taylor, who was preaching in Louisiana. He'd been assigned to preach in a poor rural church. Happened to be one of these churches, and I've been in a couple of these where the sanctuary was lit by a single light bulb hanging from the ceiling. And one evening he was preaching in this little country church and he was just going strong and the power went out. So there was no light. And Dr. Gardner didn't know what to do, what the protocol might be, so he stumbled around in the dark, made a few statements, and all of a sudden from the back of the room an elder cried out, Preach on, brother, we can still see Jesus in the dark. (laughs) And George said, sometimes we see him best in the dark. And the good news of the gospel, he wrote, is that whether we can see him in the dark or not, he can always see us. He's worthy of our trust. The Bible says to decide to trust in the Lord when you're going through uncertain times. To do the things that honor the Lord with your life, even though things are kind of upside down. To dwell on the faithfulness of the Lord. And here's one of my favorite ones in the text. Delight yourself in the Lord. Verse 4. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Even when our circumstances hold nothing that seems delightful to us, we can always find our delight in the Lord. We could be facing loss and oppression but these things do not define us I remember teaching you in the series when we were talking about disease that we should never let whatever disease we have define who we are and we should never let the challenges we face in our life define who we are we are not who challenges us we are not the difficulties we face we are who we are because of our relationship with Almighty God and when we trust in him and delight in him something wonderful happens. You know, the person who wrote this was a man named David, and I don't know if you've ever studied David's life. I did a whole series on David some years ago, and one of the things I realized about David was David was a man for all seasons. Have you ever noticed? David just, he sucked every bit out of life you could get. He squeezed life like it was an orange. And just think about David, what he was all about. 
David was a singer. He was a songwriter. He could dance. He could write poetry. He could devise battle plans. He had an aching desire to design a temple for God. He was a passionate man who found in his life every delight. But here is David, this man who lived life to the full, saying, what you really need to do is find your delight in the Lord. Covet a relationship with God that becomes central to who you are. Now, the interesting thing about this verse is that there's a promise attached to it, and often it's misunderstood, and I want to try to explain it the best I can today. The Bible says, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Years ago, I was reading a book on the will of God, and the writer of the book said the simplest way he knew to explain how to get the will of God in your life was to fall in love with God and then do whatever you wanted to do. I thought that was pretty simplistic, but maybe he's not too far from the truth. This passage of Scripture doesn't say that when you delight in the Lord, you can ask him for anything you want, he'll just give it to you, no matter how frivolous it may seem. Lord, I'm delighting in you today. I'd sure like to have a new Corvette. No, that's not what it means. Some teachers teach that, but that's not what it means. Here, listen to this. The Bible says, if you delight in the Lord, if you delight in him, if you truly have all of your delight in him, you will never ask anything from him that does not coincide with who he is. In your delighting in the Lord, you define the things that you need and that you want. It becomes the context in which you ask. So that if you're truly delighting in the Lord, you can ask him for what you want, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I have a wonderful little personal story to tell you about that. I don't know that I've ever told you exactly how I got into doing what I do, how I was called to preach. I was a senior in college. I had been a speech major and had done some homework in radio and television. Actually, I was a disc jockey. I actually worked in a little radio station in Springfield, Ohio. I had the 3 to 11 shift every afternoon. I put on all of the Christian music on this station. I did the news. I introduced the music. I was not very good at it, but I was learning on the air. And I believed that's what God wanted me to do, and that's where I was headed. I'd ask Donna to marry me. We had a year left before we graduated, and this is what we had planned. We had our life all planned out. And then one day, my father, who was the president of the college that I was going to, came to me and he said, David, we have a little church up in Columbus that needs a speaker for the weekend, and I've already assigned all the faculty members. There's nobody left to go. Would you go up there and speak for them? And I remember exactly what I said. You have got to be kidding. <laughs> That's what I said. He said, no, he said, it's not that big a deal. He says there's only like 30 people. It's a little farm community. They got a little church. There's a cemetery outside of it. You know, you got the picture. He said, just go up there and give your testimony. So I told Donna, and she said, hey, that sounds like a fun thing to do. So we drove up there on Sunday morning to the Fairfield Baptist Church in Thurston, Ohio, still there. And I gave my testimony. It took maybe 15 minutes or 20 minutes at the most. And then we were invited to go to lunch with one of the farm community families, and we went to their farm and had dinner. And to my shock, while we were eating dinner, they began to tell me how excited they were that I was going to be there to speak in the evening service. <laughs> which my father had conveniently forgotten to tell me. 
And the problem was I had already delivered everything I knew. I didn't have anything else. I had no notes, no old sermons. So I remember going into the corner of that house in the afternoon and repackaging what I gave them in the morning and gave it back to them that night. (laughs) To my surprise, they said to me, would you come back next week? And so Don and I drove back next week. And the week after that, and the week after that, And all of a sudden, I realized God was doing something in my heart and that he was saying to me, Jeremiah, this is what I want you to do. Hmm. I uh, almost get emotional when I hear myself telling that story. It's such a major part in what God has done in my life. Um, That church, the Fairfield Baptist Church in Thurston, Ohio, um, I still have a big picture of that in, in my office. And I remember um, the faces of some of the early people and the farmers that we met there. Only God would know what driving up there every weekend would mean to my life, to Donna's life. But uh, we look back with gratitude. Just one of the stepping stones he put in front of us to get us from where we were to where we needed to be. Well, we're at the end of a week, friends, and it's time for me to tell you that it's important for you to go to church. I think that's more important for me to say now than it ever has been, because there are some churches that are open and people are still not going. Uh, If you're afraid to go because of illness, that's one thing. But if you've just gotten used to being at home, like I've said to our people, going to church in your pajamas, you need to get out of your comfort zone and get back to church so that God can use you and bless you. We'll see you here on Monday. Thank you. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's current series, What Are You Afraid Of?, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, ask for your copy of David's timely and encouraging new book, Hope living fearlessly in a scary world. Stop letting fear hold you back. The book is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.org radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue the series, What Are You Afraid Of? Here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? The Jeremiah Legacy Society from Turning Point was created for friends of the ministry who feel called to partner with Dr. David Jeremiah to deliver the unchanging Word of God to future generations. We can ensure that the impact we have reaches beyond our days here on earth. Visit our website at davidjeremiahgift.org to learn more about how you can be a part of the Jeremiah Legacy Society. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca.
The American poet Robert Frost said, The reason worry kills more people than work is that more people worry than work. Since I can't verify that claim statistically, I'll go with this one instead. Worry is like a rocking chair. Both give you something to do, but neither gets you anywhere. And that is so true. The older I get, the less I worry. Most things I could worry about are out of my control anyway. Jesus was right. Worry adds nothing to my life, so why bother? As for the things I can control, I'd rather work on fixing them instead of worrying about them. And this is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's wisdom about worry on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.